Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to look at Deuteronomy again, or in Deuteronomy 7. And we just gave a little bit of an introduction to it uh, last week. We were looking at it, several words that appear in there, and they they appear in the original text quite a bit different than they appear in the translated text. And there's no easy solution to that because you have words in Hebrew that they have a tendency to add letters to, numerous letters to, rearrange the letters in the word. And we only have an English word to translate into that particular Hebrew word. And and either uh, Hebrew is too rich a language <laughs> or, or the English is uh, too weak a language. Now, the reality is we have fairly uh, consistent early texts that uh, give us a hint. And like I've said many times, the Hebrew language, because the letters actually have meanings, each letter is almost a syllable. I mean, letters, even like a, an an, uh, is actually, com- it, it, there's actually a spelling for that letter which would be Elif uh, Yad Nun, uh, spells a single letter, A-N. And that A-N can be added, it can be doubled, it can be, other letters can be added onto it. And each letter adds to the meaning because it is a cross between an ideogrammic language like Chinese or Japanese and an alphabetical language like English or Greek or Latin. But when you add, sometimes when you add a letter to a, a word in English, you, you know, it may make, you know, add an S on the end, it makes it plural. Uh, you can add suffixes and prefixes and add to the meaning. But uh, Hebrew, it's much more extensive, and when you start adding three, four, five letters to a single word, it changes the meaning of the word. You do that with several words in a single sentence, and it changes the meaning of the language. Is that a huge problem? Well, ultimately, the problem that is created by that misconception of reading things translated into English can be overcome with what we call the Holy Spirit, which is revelation. I just was listening to, uh, I don't know, I guess it would be a conversation rather than a debate between uh, Jordan Peterson and uh, a woman by the name of Blackmore, Susan Blackmore, I guess is her name. And uh, the question that was put to them is, do we need God to make sense of life? And Susan's answer was simply no. And Jordan Peterson's answer was not uh, really no, but he wanted, he, he thought that the question couldn't just simply be answered in a yes or no <laughs> Uh, question, because you have to define, I mean, there's how many words in that question? Do we need God? Need, what does that mean? God, what does that mean? Make sense, what does that mean? Life, what does that mean? 
all these terms have different meanings to different people at different times in their life, in their conversation. So, in what context do you mean this? Uh, God doesn't need us uh, if there is a God. And to me, it is it is self-evident that there is a God. But do I believe in the God that you imagine exists? Well, no, I probably do not believe in the God that you imagine exists. And I, I don't know what you think God is when you say the word God. Uh, and people put names on them. And one of the interesting things about Scripture is that there was no name on God. That he could be described as many different things. You know, a creator, you know, the source of peace, etc. If he's the creator of the universe... And the creator of life on this planet, the creator of, of, you know, chemistry, physics, <laughs> and all these sciences that we categorize in order to look at the universe around us, uh, then, you know, that, that's, that's a significant role that God plays in things. The way Jordan Peterson answered it, and I've talked about this before, is that, uh, that we have we have to have a hierarchy of values. If we don't have a hierarchy of values, you know, life becomes chaos, and the world becomes chaos, and and things degenerate. And so you need this hierarchy of values, and whatever those values are, and the source of those values are, is your God. So the question is: Is there a spiritual God? in existence that was fundamentally designing the universe that exists before us, that exists around us, that we appear to exist within. Well, to me, that again, that's a no-brainer. That's obvious. That there is some sort of divine, we throw in the word divine intelligence, that has created the universe. Uh do we need God to make sense of it? Well, we need to find sense in it, in this thing we call life, and whatever gives us a sense to this thing we call life, that is God to us. But is there a God that is independent of our opinion, that is actually formulated some sort of uh force in the universe that has created this uniformity that we see in the universe. I mean, laws of physics seem to work everywhere. Although there's a huge debate going on and has been going on for years now as to the fundamental nature of the laws of physics. You know, uh, the guys uh, uh, that look at uh, the electronic universe, you know, where they're seeing patterns in the universe that are more than what physics has presented and that they look at this electric universe uh, as part of a theory about the universe that helps them explain many of the things they see. And then, of course, we've talked about quantum. Quantum is an element of of the creation that seems to be subatomic sub what we would normally call an element. Even the great philosophers reduced uh, 
matter down to some sort of fundamental element, an atom, that uh, must exist somewhere uh, in order to create this physical realm in which we exist. Well, is there something even more subtle than the physical realm? And what is the physical realm but frequencies and vibrations and and interactions of some fundamental things? So, according to the Bible, spirit created the physical world. And it appears, to some degree, according to some physicists and uh, scientists, that there seems to be a fundamental cause in the universe for the physical reality we see around us that is more fundamental but more subtle than we can actually put in a test tube and observe. We can observe the effects of it, but we can't observe it. So, you know, again, make sense of life. Well, a lot of people, they, you know, a small child will make sense of life because, you know, they just see a flower and it's beautiful. They, they see their mother and they, they have affection to it. That, that's all that they need to make sense of life. They don't ask in-depth questions as to the meaning of life. It's, it's all around them. They accept it. And there's something simple in that. So, to even answer the question, do we need God to make sense of life? It depends on what you need to make sense of things. <laughs> and then, of course, it depends on what you think God is. So, Jordan Peterson sees this uh, hierarchy of values is the source of the God in your life. But then that does not answer, is there a God independent of your opinion? And neither one of these people seem to address that. They talk about uh, memes and uh, and uh, you know psychology and and religion, Blackmore was constantly saying that uh, it is very clear that in the more religious societies, the more chaos, the more murder, the more suicides that you have. Well, that is absurd uh, on the face of it. It's not very scientific because you need to define what you mean by religion because all religions are not the same. All cultures are not the same. Some cultures, there's all kinds of murders. Some cultures, people are eating people on a regular basis. Uh, other cultures, that doesn't exist. So, the, to use this blanket term, religion, is like saying, you know, the major cause of death is birth. If we didn't have so much birth, we wouldn't have so much death. Uh, religion, what is religion? What do you... You know, these are supposed to be intelligent people, but you can go back just a hundred years and look at the definition of religion is a pious performance of a duty to God and your fellow man. So your duty to God is what? To love your neighbor as yourself. And that manifests in keeping the Ten Commandments. You don't kill your neighbor. You don't steal from your neighbor. You don't lie to your neighbor. You don't even covet your neighbor's goods. So those duties to God also are to your neighbor. And of course, Christ reduced all the commandments down to two commandments. Love God, who is this creator of life, this creator of order, 
and to love your neighbor as yourself. And all his rules are based on those two concepts, precepts. And does that make sense to you? You know, the reality is, is that it is not religion that is the problem. It's something else that we, because the Romans had two different words for religion. Religiere and superstitio. Superstitio is what you imagine to be true that you're using to make sense out of life. It's not necessarily true, but it's imagined to be true. And we're going to get to Deuteronomy in a second, but I, I wanted to lay out this this fundamental idea of because they were talking about these ideas of memes, and they were actually talking about religion as a virus because some some people have made that out. Some atheists look at religion as a virus, and of course, what is a virus? And I said, well, all viruses are bad. The one Blackmore said something to that effect. Well, that's not necessarily true. All viruses are usually would be fall under the category of an exosome, but all exosomes are not bad. Virus, by its the nature of the word that we use to describe this exosome we call a virus, is that it's toxic, that it's a poison. That's where the word comes from in the Greek. So it's only an exosome that causes an ill effect would be categorized as a virus. Well, there could be exosomes that are needed in one species that would cause an ill effect in another species. You know, one man's, one creature's uh, delight is another creature's poison. So, what when you talk about religion and replication of religion, that's what the memes are, is a way of replicating an idea and presenting that idea in this meme but uh, the reality is is have you replicated it accurately or is it a mutation and of course that's where we come in the difference between religion and superstition superstition is a replication of religion that is inaccurate and itself becomes a virus, a poison, a toxin. Because it's a idea about God, as an idea about a pious duty to God and your fellow man. It's an idea about the creator of this this divine intelligence that put everything it's an idea about science which is the study of this world around us, that is inaccurate. But it is believed to be true. But it's not, it's not actually the case. It's false. And to replicate an idea that is not true, not accurate, is fundamentally flawed, is a toxin. To making sense out of life. It is what we would call superstitio. It is, you know, so when we're looking at Deuteronomy, when we're looking at some of these other Bible studies, we want to see where somebody has gone wrong in the replication of an idea. 
I mean, Jordan Peterson likes to go back. He's done a series on Genesis. And, because uh, he thinks these are fundamental stories that just go deeper and deeper and deeper. That's, it's only because Jordan Peterson goes deeper and deeper and deeper. If you take the, whatever it is, six lines concerning Cain and Abel, that's it. It's just those six lines. And somebody can read them and they're absolutely satisfied with that story. They're not going to go any deeper. And to them, they make sense out of life by reading those stories. You know, brothers are not supposed to hit their brothers over the head with a club. That's a bad thing. And that's all they need. And they've made sense out of life. But Jordan wants to go deeper and deeper. And that's fine. That's that's his journey. But the reality is, is that if you create a misconception as to what you think those stories are telling you, or religion is telling you, or the observable facts in the universe around you, if if you're inaccurately reproducing those ideas, then your ideas are toxic. And much of what we call religion today is what the Romans would have called superstitio. And the reason I'm bringing this up is that when we get into where the church, where the institutions of Christ went into apostasy, where the institutions of Moses went into apostasy, where the institutions of Enoch and Abraham went into apostasy, that 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 point is the same. That That deviation is the same. It's where... You think you're making sense out of life, out of the world around you, and you're actually misreplicating the ideas of these men who have gone before. We know that the Pharisees who preached Moses said they had Moses. According to Jesus, they didn't even know Moses. And because they didn't know Moses, I mean, they studied him. They read the Torah. They read the Hebrew. They thought it made sense out of life. But, according to Jesus, they didn't even know Moses. And because they didn't know Moses, they didn't know him. So, what are they missing? Somehow or other, in their minds, they have replicated the message of Moses incorrectly. They were in error. Why were they in error? Well, according to Jesus, they sat in darkness. Why did they sit in darkness? Yet there are a number of verses in the Bible that talk about us moving into darkness. David talks about it. Talks about us, you know, or, and Paul talks about our eyes darkened. So you cannot see clearly. So that you're now replicating ideas about what you think religion is that are inaccurate. And like I've said in the past, there's really good money in making people feel good about the bad ideas that they have accepted as true that just ain't so. You can make a lot of money making people feel good about those false ideas. But uh, telling people the truth, that could get you crucified. <laughs> so anyway, so let's... Let's take a look at Deuteronomy and see if we can't come to a little bit more truth. We'll have a little bit of a review. We've talked about uh, the fact that numerous words 
uh, are translated in Deuteronomy into a single word like destroy. And we looked at words like semite. And, and back in verse 1, probably the most important word that we see in verse 1 is, uh, you know, a, a root word, yad, resh, shen, that appears as lamad, resh, shen, tov, hey. And it's translated possess. And most of the time, when you see this word represented in in the Old Testament, it is translated possess, but it also inherit. Rights are inherited. Your genome is inherited. Uh, ideas often are inherited. But uh, the idea that you were to possess the land is actually taking us back to the garden where we were given dominion over the land and the things that live on the land and creep on the land. But we were not given dominion one over the other. And that, that takes us to that story of Cain and Abel, where Cain did not have a right to dominion over Abel. But he exercised that right. He aborted his brother from life by killing his brother. There was, there was somebody going out on a, a woman's right to choice, you know, uh, rally and was asking people and they were all saying that a woman has a right to choose autonomy over her body and so he was asking them well do you do you accept the idea of uh, people have a right to refuse the vaccination and it was stumping them one after another I don't you never know in these interviews if whether the man on the street asking the question how many said you, you're, you're right but an awful lot of them are, no, no, not when it comes to vaccination. Everybody should be forced to take the vaccination. Or they should have to take the vaccination. Well, you're not actually forced to take the vaccination, but you can't have a job. You can't go to a restaurant. You can't live your life unless you get that vaccination. Well, I'm okay with that. But we want autonomy over our body when it comes to killing our unborn children in our in our wombs. And, of course, one of those was a man making this statement. But uh, the reality is is that there's an inconsistency (laughs) in their perception of reality. And it's very difficult to talk to people who can't even be consistent. And in reference to Blackmore, her use of the word religion. She she was using this broad, wide term somewhere. I would have said, can you define what you mean by religion? Because you keep using that word, and I do not think it means what you seem to think it means. How can you even have a discussion until you actually define these terms? I mean, that's why we created adjectives to define. Are You know, like religion of the Muslims... You can be killed for converting. You can be thrown off a roof for being gay. Uh, you, you know, if you even preach another teaching other than the Koran, you can be put to death. Now, all Muslims don't think that way, but enough so that the murder rate is, and death rate and suicide rate is going to be much higher amongst that. So, all religions aren't the same. But let's get back to Deuteronomy when we return. And see if we can connect the pieces of the puzzle. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, in Deuteronomy 7, we see that 
God is telling us something to bring us into land wherever that land is. It's not just Israel. It's wherever Abraham puts his foot. And it has to be a foot based upon faith. And In other words, your walk is based on faith. It's not about force. We talked about the fact that archaeologists show that, that most of these lands that supposedly were influenced by or overtaken by the Israelites were not taken over by a marauding army. There wasn't any archaeological evidence of that. Now, there were wars, but a lot of the people said, we want to be like these people because they were so well off. They were healthier. They were wealthier. Their families were together. They were impressive people. They were a holy nation. Not not because they had some... Uh, wore a particular beanie or uh, wore particular clothes, but because they had this, they didn't oppress the, the stranger in their midst. Uh, they had a sense of justice and law. A lot of times when uh, Alexander the Great went around conquering one city state after another, he would just present, you know, you guys submit and we will organize your system. So that you'll have more justice, you'll have more wealth, you'll have more, um, you know, uh, order in your your city-states and less fighting between you and less people dying and being murdered and less disease. And people said, yeah, let's do it the way Alexander says. <laughs> they, just, they just submitted. Now, the Israelites were much the same, but occasionally because they... They were a threat to the power structure of these existing Canaanite cities, Canaanite-type cities, these merchant-of-men-type cities where the people are the property of the king and he exercises authority, provides social welfare to some degree, but he does it by exercising authority. This was the merchants-of-men. This is They used covetous systems to provide the social safety net, the walls of the city, the protection of the community. And uh, they were men who exercised authority in doing this. And this made the citizens subjects rather than a free society. A free society that has a social safety net based on charity will be a fruitful society a society that bases their social safety net on legal charity, charity forced by men who exercise authority like the Canaanites, that society will eventually not bear fruit. It may go along for a while, but eventually it will not bear fruit because it will, by its nature, weaken the people. One strengthens the people. The other weakens it. This was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, that in a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the people, but they actually weakened the people. So, somehow or other, and uh, it, it actually involves uh, the hornets, whatever that means, um, these people where they went, their systems collapsed. And... There was some resistance, but it's very little resistance because the Israelites were not many. But yet they, their strength was not in their arms, but in their righteousness. So in verse 2 he says, When the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, 
it's God delivering them. Thou shalt smite, and we looked at that word smite, it doesn't have anything to do with hitting people, them, and utterly destroy them. It doesn't really have anything to do with destroying. If we go down to the word smite, naka, uh, it's, it's not what we would normally see is uh, nun kof hey, but it's a, a word with a great many other uh, definitions, uh, other letters added to it to add and enhance its meaning. And the same with the word that we see for destroy. And and in this one chapter, we're going to see numerous words that are translated destroy, but don't always mean the same thing. They're completely different Hebrew words. Uh, so much of the Bible is about how to avoid these traps and snares that are set in these systems of welfare. You know, Proverbs, when you sit and eat with a ruler and he serves you what is literally deceitful means, he refers to them as the dainties of rulers. You're to put a knife to your throat because they are those deceitful meats and and David will tell you that they are a snare. What should have been for your welfare is a snare. And Paul is quoting the same thing in the New Testament. So all these ideas of going to men who exercise authority, which Christ forbid to get benefits, uh, is the era of the Nicolaitans, the era of Balaam. And uh, it's what conquers the people. It's what brings them into subjection. It's legal charity. Charity through men who exercise authority like FDR, LBJ, Obama. You know, all these people want autonomy over their body. But one one of the ladies, or several of them actually said, health care is a right. You have a right to health care. Well, somebody's got to pay for that health care. So what she's saying is, I have a right to take away from my neighbor by force so that I can have free health care. Uh, that is the, not the way of righteousness. That's the way of selfishness. That's the way of Cain. It will make you merchandise. It will curse your children with debt. It will curse your children and bring them back into bondage. And Deuteronomy 7 is really warning you about returning to bondage. And so... Wherever the Israelites go, they were to possess the land. You are not going to possess the land if you go into bondage. You you cannot hold dominion as a free soul under God in the kingdom of God if you go around desiring to take away from your neighbor, to become a king over your neighbor, a ruler over your neighbor, and take away from your neighbor so that you can have free stuff. If you... This is, you know, religion is the pious performance of a duty. And if you're, if you believe in the public religion of Sodom, the public religion of Nimrod, the public religion of Pharaoh, you believe in forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare in some sort of welfare system of legal charity, including protecting your, your borders, you know, from invasion. And, you know, but they're not going to protect their borders. But the reason why they're not going to do that is because right now the spirit of destruction is coming upon you. 
and it'll go back to some of those same words that we see uh, destroy. <laughs> so, nor was Israel to be a commonwealth. It wasn't to be, you know, have one purse, uh, but it was a network of free assemblies. I always remember somebody who thinks he's a Bible scholar and criticizes us. He says, there's nowhere the word network is in the Bible. Well, absolutely right. And there's nowhere that charity is in the Old Testament. But free will offerings, free assemblies, uh, that is in the Old Testament. And that is what charity is. And that is what a network is, is free assemblies, connecting tens, fifties, hundreds, thousands. That's a network. And that's how they provided their social welfare through free will offerings, through charity, not through a system where you elect a king or a prime minister or a president and they, or, or a legislature that forces people to contribute so that other people can have free stuff. That is, that is not biblical. That is, well, actually it's in the Bible. They talk about it in the Bible, but it brings destruction. It brings, uh, the people, it degenerates the people until they are easily destroyed. Uh, you were not even to oppress the stranger in your midst, therefore you couldn't even force the stranger in your midst to pay for what you wanted. You couldn't cover his goods or his labor or his sweat or his toil anymore. And all the problems in America, the economic problems, the political problems, the health problems all stem from the idea that you think it's okay to take from your neighbors so that you can have more free stuff. So that you can have security. So you can have, you know, you want to put walls up around America to keep, you know, uh, the riffraff out, so to speak. And if you just did away with your social welfare system through force... Like John the Baptist was saying, he was saying, no, no, don't do it through force. Do it through charity. You know, if you have extra, share with those that don't have enough. And and to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, which was a pattern for governments all over the world, but do it in voluntary systems to take care of the needy. If you don't do that, your borders will not be secure. They will not be safe. And inside your borders... The enemy will be amongst you. As a matter of fact, you will be the enemy. So, anyway, we talked about in the previous show about oppression, but we want to get to through the end. We talked in verse 2 about smite, uh, which, like I said, is Nunkov Hay, uh, which translates smite uh, 348 times in, in the Bible. And so it's very commonly translated smite, but not always. But the word that appears in the text is Nun. Not nun kaf hey, but vav hey, kaf yad tov mem. And we talked in the previous show, and you can go back and listen to those previous shows, as to how that is a different word than smite. And and we will see in other, uh, other studies that I've been putting together um, that this is this addition of letters... And eventually we got down to the double tav. Uh, there's also a double nun and a double an. And whenever you see these double letters, there's usually a very spiritual significance to them. So the, the word destroy, uh, 
is uh, not Chet Resh Mim in one place, but uh, Tav Chet Resh Yad Mim. So the divine spark Yad and the letter Tav are added to these words that are destroyed. So you're destroying them by your faith. And of course, this is what the, was happening with the Pharisees is that they were, they hated Christ. And they, you know, he said in the beginning that he was going to take the kingdom away from them and appoint it to a different group that would bear fruit. And so, right away, he's at odds with the Pharisees who were sitting in political power at that time. But how did he take it away from them? He made them so angry and in their blindness, they took it away from themselves. He did not have to pull out a sword and force them to, you know, relinquish the kingdom or die. No, he didn't do that. He he got them so angry at Christ that they said, you know, what when when Caesar said, when Pontius Pilate, who represented Caesar, said, What shall we do with your king? They said, We have no king but Caesar. I mean they didn't just put that in because it was historically the case. They put that in to, so that you see how he took the kingdom away. They let go of the kingdom. They released it. They threw it out. It, it, we can take you all the way back to, you know, uh, Rehoboam and uh, David when they some of Israel said, what is David to us? And they went back to their own tents. They abandoned the kingdom. And they were no longer in the kingdom, but they no longer had the strength of the kingdom. Now, that that will take some fleshing out to understand that. But the reality is that if what you're trying to do is, right now, you're found today in the bondage of Egypt. In the bondage of Egypt, 20% of your labor belonged to the government. How much of your labor belongs to the government now? And they have a myriad of taxes that they can take more and more of your sweat and toil. Right now we're seeing inflation going up, price of gas going up. People says, well, why is it going up? Well, there's shortages supposedly. And so they need to drill more and they need to produce more oil. But but what is the motivation to oil companies that are now selling their oil for two and three times what it costs to produce it before or what they were selling it for before? What is their incentive? You know, with no more investment, no more work, they're making all kinds of money. Now, of course, eventually the economy will collapse, and so they will want to produce more oil to prevent that collapse. But in the meantime, they're getting richer and richer and richer. And it's selfishness that is killing society. So you go to your government and you say, do something to bring the price of gas and and fuel down. And, of course... Every object that you have in the stores gets there because they've traveled on a truck. So all those prices are going up. And so you have this runaway inflation, which they had at the time of the early church. And, of course, we know historically they tried to impose price controls and and rationing. And Christians were doing something completely different, which, of course, made... The people very jealous of the Christians. But the reality is is that uh, history is repeating itself and we don't understand. Okay, you go to the government and you say, 
we we need to lower these prices. Your government is taxing you on every gallon of gas and every gallon of diesel that you put into your rigs and your vehicles. And it's not based on gallons. It's based on the price. So the higher the price, the more revenue is coming into the individual states. But again, it's their personal selfishness, their desire for power that is corrupted them where they're not, you're not the interest. You're not what they care about. It's the power you've created. You and your parents and your grandparents have created offices of power to produce the social safety net, to produce the social security, produce the security of the state. And men who seek power has sought office. Christ set up a system where everything was voluntary. Your social welfare, your safety net, uh, your health care system, all this was voluntary. You had to actually care about one another. So you wanted to care about your neighbor and hope that your neighbor would care about you because this is why God's kingdom works on faith, hope, and charity. The kingdom of Nimrod, the kingdom of the devil, the kingdom of Satan works on force, fear, and fealty, subjecting you, making you that subject again. So, that's the world that you, your parents, your grandparents created. It began with the Constitution, which was not a biblical document. It was much nobler than a lot of other documents that were out there at that time. But it wasn't based on the biblical requirements for a constitution if you want to have somebody, a government, that can exercise authority. This is what made Israel a peculiar people. There were no kings. There were no rulers. So you go back to Blackmore's view of religion. Yeah, there there are religions that, like I say, throw gay people off of rooftops that that uh, set you on fire if you don't obey your parents. Uh, there are religions that, uh, you know, will kill you if you convert to another religion or even speak of other ideas other than the ones that have come down to you through that religion. Yeah, those, that is, all religions aren't the same. Is religion a pious performance of a duty? No, they all believe... Jews today, Muslims today, Christians today, all believe, modern Christians today, not real Christians, modern Christians, I'll use the adjective, believe that it is okay to force your neighbor to contribute to to your welfare. It's okay to charge 10%, 20%, 30% on a man's labor. You actually desire benefits by taxing your neighbor's labor which puts you into the bondage of Egypt. The modern Christian says that's okay. Oh, the law's been done away with, so I guess now it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods. Christ came and died so that you could covet your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority one over the other. That's what they're telling me. Yeah, Christ said, you've seen the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. It is not to be that way with you. But the modern Christian says, no, it's okay to be that way with you as long as you believe in Jesus. That's superstition. That is 
the instrumentum regine, the instrument of the king. That is what's bringing you into bondage. Is because you have replicated the teachings of Christ falsely. And your religion is a virus. Your religion has married you to Nimrod. Has married you to Cain. And the ways of Cain. Not the ways of Christ. Your modern Christian church is preaching the way of Cain. The way of Nimrod. The way of Pharaoh. The way of Caesar. It's not preaching the way of Christ. If it was... All the social welfare, the daily ministration, the pure religion of your practice of religion would be based on charity. Not legal charity, not forced charity, not forced contributions, not the Corbin of the Pharisees, but charity. It is not. You go out to all these churches and look in them and say, how do you take care of the needy of your society? Do you do it through charity or do you go to men who exercise authority one over the other? Do you go to the fathers of the earth? That's what it means. When Jesus said, call no man upon the earth father, call no man father upon the earth. The word there is patre and all the senators of Rome are called father. And the emperor is called Patronus, our father. And Jesus says, you don't pray to our father who art in Rome. He says, you pray to our father who art in heaven. How does your Father in Heaven provide you with daily bread? We know that He was providing you with daily bread through a system of charity. Because we see them doing that in Acts. There's going to be a bread shortage in some parts of Greece or Syria or Ephesus. And they took up a collection and every man gave according to what he felt was right. Is that the way you do it? Or do you call up a president or a prime minister and say, or a senator or a congressman and say, I want more benefits over here. Take the money away from somebody else or borrow it against the future, which of course is a violation of the Sabbath because the Sabbath is is about working first, not borrowing against the future and then having to work. So anyway, we see you know, in different verses, these different words for destroy, and they're adding these tovs, the letter of faith, and a yod, the divine spark, and a mem, which is the flow of faith, to which is separating you out from the rest of the world. Because the rest of the world is absolutely okay today. It wasn't that way in America, you know, in the 20s. Or in the late 1800s, or certainly back in 1835 and 1840. And we, we show you all kinds of stories where people tried to look to the government to provide charity and people resisted. In Congress, they resisted that. They did not vote to take care of the needy through taxation. Occasionally it popped up, and, and then now it's pervasive. This is altering your religion. You're now engaged in public religion and the gods of your religions are the ones who say what is good and evil 
and how much you have to contribute. Uh, that actually, Blackmore actually mentions the, the, the gutting of Obamacare. She thinks that that was terrible. Well, see, Obamacare, that's her religion. That's She doesn't have a pious performance of a duty to God and their fellow man. She she wants Obamacare to provide welfare for the needy. And Obama is absolutely willing to do that. But he's not going to take the money out of his pocket. He's going to take the money out of your neighbor's pocket. That's her religion. That's why it's so important. Let's define these words religion. Because they've redefined them. They keep using that word, but it didn't used to mean what it means today. So anyway, we'll we'll take another break, and then we'll come back, and we'll get into uh, where the double tav is, and uh, and so and, and who's the hornets? What, what's the hornets? <laughs> we'll be back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So does everybody understand <laughs> that you're not to oppress the stranger in your midst? Uh, in other words, you're not to force the stranger in your midst to pay for what you want, for the benefits you want. And and this is what Deuteronomy is telling you. And um, you're not to make covenants with men who exercise authority to force your neighbor to contribute to you what you want. If you want to do that, that's fine. But that's not the religion of Moses. It's not the religion of Abraham. It's not the religion of Jesus Christ. It may be the religion of Nimrod. It may be the religion of Cain. It may be the the religion of FDR. It may be the religion of Obama. But it's not the religion of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ would not force you to contribute to his welfare or anybody else's welfare. As a matter of fact, he forbid that. It's right there in the text. It's not to be that way with you. But that is the way it is with you. And yet you have married, you have contracted with institutions in order to get men who exercise authority to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. That's oppressing your neighbor. You're not to oppress the stranger in your midst. He, you, well, I didn't even know my neighbor. But no, the stranger in your midst. I mean, you can go to Leviticus 19.33. And if the stranger is sojourning with thee in your land, you know, he's not a part of your system, but he just lives in your land, you shall not vex him. Uh, if ye oppress not the stranger and the fatherless and the widow and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods, ruling judges, to your hurt. Yeah, I, I don't know what word that is there in the Hebrew, hurt, but it's likely the same word that they translate into mischief. <laughs> Uh, to, or, and the word that, there are several words, and we'll go through that study, uh, that they translate into mischief in the Bible. There's, there's one that shows up about five times, and, but there's others that, 
are translated mischief, but actually show up hundreds and hundreds of times, usually translated evil or wicked. And see, whenever you're wicked, that hurts you. Whether you feel the pain now or later, in a cause and effect universe, you often will feel it later. It's kind of like a hangover. You may think, well, I'm really partying tonight, but tomorrow you'll have a hangover. Zechariah 7.10 says, And oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, uh, nor the poor. Let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. Well, isn't it evil to want to, you know, like those people who all want the right to abort their child, but they also want the right to force you to get vaccinated. They can't see the fact that that's you. You've you waived autonomy to your body when you take away the autonomy to other people's body. And the fact is, is abortion isn't about autonomy in your body. It's a because you you don't really care about the autonomy of a person's body, or you wouldn't be trying to kill your child. It's selfishness again. And see, selfishness will allow people to say, well, we have to have a system of social welfare and everybody won't give, so we have to force them to give. Well, if you judge that's okay, you will go into bondage. Until people address this issue, I see a lot of people, you know, think that things have gotten too oppressive and we need to change this and we need to change that. Until you change this idea that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods the men who exercise authority, until you address that in your churches or wherever you gather, you will not be free. Malachi 3.5 And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, you know, the pharmaceutica, and against the adulterers, the people who make these covenants and agreements with you know, men who exercise authority. That That's a, uh, adulterous. Idolatry is covetousness. Adultery is the same. This whole idea of adultery, most of the adultery that you see mentioned in the Old Testament or in the Bible itself is national adultery. And, and what's the harlot? It's a national adultery with the harlot. What's the har- harlot? It's a church that says that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods in order to get the benefits you want. And it's okay to covet those goods through men who exercise authority because that harlot rides a beast. It rides something of authority, something that exercises authority. I mean, the Roman church is as wealthy as it... I shouldn't even mention the Roman church. The church of Constantine is as wealthy as it is because it doesn't provide the daily ministration anymore. It accumulates gold and silver. If you want a daily ministration, you have to go to the beast. You have to go to the men who exercise authority one over the other. The men that make you merchandise. Make you possessions of the government. Human resources. We actually call ourselves human resources. Because... Your churches are not preaching true religion. They're, they're preaching a virus. A false religion. 
falsely replicated, the superstitious religion. You think you're saved because you imagine you're doing what Christ said. Somebody was complaining about the fact that Jesus was saying that these, that his brother's father was the devil. And I said, well, no, he wasn't talking about his brothers. He already said, he who does the will of my father is my brother. So the ones he's saying that I know your father who is the devil, the adversary of God, is, is, is the man you pray to for your daily bread. And, and you know, and the thing is, we we'll, we'll, we can show you over and over again. I came across so many quotes in David and Proverbs about eating your bread, where you're eating the blood of your neighbor by eating your bread. How how could you be eating the blood of your neighbor by eating your daily bread? Well, because you've created the bloody city. We have an article up, city of blood. The city of blood is where. The city is the cauldron, and you be the flesh. And when you do that, every time you want to benefit, you're taking a bite out of your neighbor. You're not taking a bite out of, you know, uh, Biden. You're, you're, he's getting richer and richer. You're not taking a bite out of him. You know, he's not paying off anybody's student loans. He's just moving the debt over to everybody who didn't go to college and didn't take out a student loan. Now they have to pay. But the reason he gets away with it is because somewhere else in your life, you're taking a bite out of your neighbor. And why? You say, but we need this. We, I, my parents need a Social Security check. You know, they paid into it. The money's gone. It isn't there anymore. It's gone. It's it's actually never been there. It's never been solvent, and we we explain that. We show you the. We could actually put the math up even, but uh, it's it's evident that it's never been solvent because there's no division of funds. As long as the the government has been in debt for decade upon decade upon decade, as long as the government's in debt, Social Security is in debt. And if it's in debt, then the only way you're going to get a benefit, I mean, top economists in the United States have said the only way you get a benefit from Social Security is you take, a, you borrow money against the future. Future of you, the future of your children. You curse your children every time you take a check. You say, but I paid in. Yeah, well, that's like the gambler who said, you know, he paid in too. You bet on the wrong horse, you should have bet on Christ. I mean, it's it's really simple to understand to desire benefits at the expense of your neighbor, whether he's a stranger or not, is in opposition to the teachings of Christ, the teachings of Moses, the teachings of Abraham. It's it's against the Ten Commandments. It you know it doesn't take a great deal to figure that out. So anyway, you've made co- covenants contracts. Covenants and constitution with men who exercise authority and ask them to take away from your neighbors so that you can have free stuff and social security and, and, uh, welfare and all these things. And so you have now degenerated the population until they become perfect savages 
and so that you can have riots in the street where people are hitting people, knocking them unconscious, setting fires to buildings, smashing windows, robbing. And those people are bailed out by these large organizations, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter and and uh, George Soros. And, and they get DAs in who don't prosecute these people for doing literally billions of dollars worth of damage. But uh, Dr. Gold, if I get her name right, I heard just got sentenced to jail <laughs> for walking in the Capitol building, not knocking down barricades, not not uh, pushing in her way, but the, was just literally invited in. She walked in. She didn't, didn't go do any damage or any of this stuff, but she's got to go to jail. Meanwhile, other people that bash in the brains of storekeepers and set their store on fire after robbing them, they are allowed to go free. No, no, nobody's going to arrest them and put them into jail for one month, two months, or any time. It's, it's because you've turned your world upside down because you haven't been following Christ. You haven't been following the ways of Christ. You know, if you look down in verse 5, we see the word for destroy, which is different than the Shin Mim Delet that we looked at, or the Jet Resh Mim that we looked at. Uh, the word is technically Nun Tav Tzedek. Tzedek is the word for righteousness. Tav is the word for faith. And Nun has to do with this swimming uh, through the Mim, through the water. But we don't see those letters. We see Tav, Tav, Tzedek, Vav in, in its place. And that was the double Tav. Double Tav means in spirit and in truth. Uh, and, you know, when I first was writing about this stuff, I, I wrote down the double Tav in Hebrew letters. But then I discovered the double Tav is actually a symbol uh, I won't even tell you what the symbol is, but it's a symbol that it it represents the fact it's it's what Christ was talking about in spirit and truth. We have lots of people saying they believe in Jesus and that they have been transformed by their belief in Jesus. But are they transformed into whose whose model? Whose Whose uh, who's pattern, whose standard? Because Christ was creating a religion that operated on faith, hope, and charity. The, the Pharisees had created a religion that operated on force, fear, and fealty. Brought the people in subjection to the Roman Empire. But the holy people, I mean the word holy that we see in verse 6... It actually is the word that means separate. And they're following the way of righteousness. But that's not what we see today amongst Christians. They're not following the way of righteousness. They're following covetous practices that makes them merchandise. And the preachers are preaching this in all these churches. But they want to believe in what they imagine to be true. 
they they have become superstitious. And their religion is actually the government. The government is providing their daily bread. And, and the government exercises authority and takes away from its neighbor. In verse 10 we hear, here we see another word for destroyed, elef biet delet, which appears as lamad he elef biet yod delet, vav. All these extra letters. Now some of these extra letters have to do with syntax, some of them, but the vav again is this separation. Lamad he yod Vav are all added to this one word. And we're supposed to mean think that it means destroy. But it actually has to do with cutting us off from the divine spark, the Yod. And it's cutting us off from light. It's cutting it, it's it's darkening our eyes. It's it's so that we sit in darkness. So by verse sixteen we're serving uh, these other gods as a snare because what should have been for our welfare is a snare as Paul and David said. In, in Psalms 107.10 we see such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death being bound in affliction and iron. So all the, the runaway inflation, the rise in taxes, uh, the shutdowns, uh, the forced, uh, you know, coerced vaccinations are all the result of shit sitting in the shadow of not admitting that there's something wrong with coveting your neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority, which Christ forbid, clearly forbid. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, clearly forbid. And really forbid everywhere he says, if you love me, love your neighbor, if you keep my commandments. Well, you're not keeping his commandments. You're coveting your neighbor's goods. It's not love to send somebody to your neighbor's house to force him to contribute to what you want. That's not love. It's certainly not living by hope. It's certainly not living by faith. Your hope is in the tyrant. And so, is there any doubt that you would be ruled over by tyrants? Isaiah 42, 7. To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoner from his prison, and then that, and then that sit in darkness out of the prison house. You have to be willing to see that there's something drastically wrong with the congregations where you meet, where the, you imagine yourself to be transformed by Christ while you continue in the ways of the Pharisees who sat in darkness. Micah 7, 8 Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Well, I'm telling you what that light looks like. It looks like people who are actually cultivating love for one another by doing what Christ commanded to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and instituting a daily ministration based on pure religion unspotted by the world. Most people's religion is unspotted by Christ. It is almost entirely the public religion of tyrants. And then they wonder why tyrants are raising up 
and shutting down their businesses. Because you don't care about your neighbor. You haven't been practicing caring about your neighbor. You know, in Luke 1, uh, verse 79, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. It's not the way of peace to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. That's not the way of peace. That's not the way of righteousness. That's the way of selfishness. That's the way of tyrants. The reason you're ruled by tyrants is because you yourself are tyrants. You say, well, no, I'm not tyrants. If you want the benefit of tyrants, you're a tyrant. You have a tyrant's heart. If you want to oppress your neighbors so that you can have free stuff, this is what's going to happen. And they were willing, all these people were willing to oppress their neighbor and force them to get a vaccination. And they're going to get the jab. Does the jab have anything to do with the hornets I mentioned before? <laughs> so, so where are these hornets? Uh, there's only a few times where it talks about these hornets going out before people. But, uh, uh, if you look at verse 9, 11, 12, 13, 14 in Deuteronomy, they're all insisting that you keep the commandments. Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. Well, they're talking about cattle shortages. They're talking about infertility. Uh, that's because, you know, is this, are they telling you, he's not trying to talk to you about blessings, but the antithesis of a blessing is a curse. And so I kind of reading this backwards, verse 13, and he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb and the fruit of thy land, thy corn, and thy wine, and thine oil, and the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep, and the land which he swear on unto you thy fathers to give thee. And again, it's not about geography. It's wherever your foot goes. The reverse of that is happening. Your, your corn... Is almost all GMO corn produced in America today. Uh, sterility and infertility is has become dominant in many dairies. That is, some dairies have stopped purchasing uh, GMO corn because they found out that it was causing an increased rate of infertility. Now everybody's getting vaccinations that, uh, like I, I was just listening to Dr. Cole was saying that, well, we know that the bodies, in some cases, are still producing spike protein two months later. Another study shows several months later. Another one shows 127 days later. So, um, is what what is going on? The reverse is happening because we are not doing what God told us to do. We are not following the way of righteousness, we're following the way of unrighteousness. And so, therefore, 
the consequences, the cause and effect, the gimel of the universe, built into the universe by God. God isn't deciding to destroy you. It's written in the universe. It's written in creation. If you go a certain way, if you're going to covet your neighbor's goods, your goods will be coveted. If you want to take away from your neighbor, as you judge, so shall ye be judged. If you you want bodily autonomy for you, but you don't want bodily autonomy for anybody else. If if you think, if you imagine that you will be threatened by their bodily autonomy, you want to take it away from them, you will not have bodily autonomy. And of course, now, they're talking about it's in their right to abortion, but I'm talking about, you know, you don't get to pick and choose. When you set these things in motion, they're set in motion. They're going a particular way. You can't alter that any more than you can alter nature itself. That there's always a consequence for the choices that you make. And one of the most fundamental choices is that people are selfish. I mean, why why aren't they sitting down in the ten centers? Why did we abandon systems of social welfare through charity, which was the most predominant way in which people took care of the needy, you know, at the beginning of the 1900s? It was still most people, there was no government welfare. FDR hadn't set up social security and welfare systems yet. There was almost none of that in America. That uh, You could see some of it in places like uh, New Zealand and Australia. And it, they were minor, but it was, it, they crossed that line. Or somehow they thought, well, government can provide these benefits. And of course, that's why we give you the story. You will look up Davy Crockett at Preparing You. And he was continuing with it way back then, early 1800s. But they were deciding not to go that way. Now they don't know any other way but going to the government to force the contributions of the people. This alters your mind. It alters the way you think. And it eventually will lead to your destruction. Like I, I've quoted Polybius and all this stuff. They will be destroyed by thinking that way. It will undermine the very root nature of mankind. You know, the root word uh, Yad Resh Shen that we see particular verse verse 1. But uh, it's slowly degenerating you by these ideas of it's okay. It is the antithesis of almost every book of the Bible. Of the idea of taking away from your neighbor. It is is going to make you a snare. And of course we see that in verse 25, verse 26. And we'll have to take a look at that when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, and if we, we go to verse 18. And... Uh, and we see there's actually a change of pace. Actually, it begins in 17 when it talks about, uh, say in thy heart, uh, these nations are more than I. How can I dispossess them? Uh, that That's a problem. You know, I mean, 
even if you go back to verse 16, where he's talking about, uh, And thou shalt consume all the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee. Thine eye shall have no pity upon them, neither shalt thou serve their gods, for that will be a snare unto thee. Well, we're already snared. We're already in this snare. What should have been for our welfare is a snare and uh, a recompense and uh, a stumbling block. And that's what it tells us. And, of course, that's what it is. that We have gone back into the bondage of Egypt. The bondage of Egypt. Uh, and, and if you go back to verse 15, where I find myself going back, and the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt which thou knowest upon thee. But this is after you repent. We know you've already gone into this place where you thought that it was okay to covet your neighbor's goods. And so what they offered you for welfare has become a snare. And you are snared in a system of bondage worse than that of Egypt. 20% in Egypt. What is it here today? And through a multitude of offices and through, uh, you know, through crafts of state. That's another translation that we see in talking about how they went from the bondage under the first pharaoh to the bondage 400 years later. The burdens were great, so much so that they were aborting their children. They were casting out their brephos, their their fetuses. Not just casting out children, but they were literally aborting children. This was the bondage of Egypt. This is where you're at. But now, that means you need to repent. And you should not say, but we can't do anything about this. We can't stop. You're absolutely right. You cannot change the course of events. You cannot change these powers that be in the world. If you think, well, I'm going to go, you know, join the militia and I'm going to get, you know, an AK-47 or AR-15 and we're going to overthrow these guys. Not going to happen. You, you need to have a revolution of the heart where you begin to start caring about one another because it's God that's going to put these people out of your way. But you can't be faking religion by saying you believe in Jesus and not doing what he said. Because he says it's not those who say, you know, Lord, Lord or Jesus, but those who do it the will of the Father. That's what you have to do. So you have to actually start doing what Christ said. And then you will be transformed. Then you will have the light to see what's going on. Then you will have the power of God backing you and going before you. So it says "Thou in verse 18, Thou shalt not be afraid, but shall shalt well remember that the Lord thy God did unto the Pharaoh and unto all of Egypt. Because that's coming. The plagues are coming. The destruction of the Pharaoh is coming. I mean, what happened to the other Pharaoh? He was drowned when waters came in (laughs) and inundated him. Well, there's a lot more to it. 
the great temptation which thine eyes saw and the signs and the wonders and the mighty hand and the stretched out arm whereby the Lord thy God brought thee out shall the Lord thy God do unto the people of whom thou art afraid. Verse 20, Moreover, the Lord thy God will send the hornet. There it is again, that hornet. How many times do we see that word hornet? Well, I'm not going to tell you yet. We'll we'll get down to this. We'll come back to that. Among them, until they that are left and hide themselves from thee be destroyed. So the hornets are going to come and there won't be many people left and those that are left will be hiding and will be destroyed. And again, we see a word there, destroyed, which is Elphbia uh, Delet, a primitive root. And uh, there's a reason why that word is there. But uh, in in this verse, we're going to see the idea that something, you know, like a hornet with a stinger or something, is going to affect the population so that people end up being decimated and that some people will be left and they will even be hiding, but even they will, you know, be fearing destruction. Now, the reality is some people can read all kinds of stuff into that that doesn't have, they don't know what side of the equation they're going to be on. They don't know what side of this, these events they're going to be mixed up in. There's, there's only a few places, there's two other places that the, this word we see translated hornet appears. And one is Exodus 23-28. And I will send hornets before thee, which shall Drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite from before thee, which is where Deuteronomy starts. But that's that hornet is mentioned in Exodus twenty three twenty eight. But there in, in Deuteronomy seven verse one, they're talking about Hivites and Canaanites and Hittites. They weren't destroyed by the armies of Israelites going out there and slitting through people's throats and killing people. They were decimated by the hornets. And I'm not going to tell you what the hornets were. <laughs> I mean, there is a particular word that is translated into hornets. But it also appears in Joshua. And I send a hornets before you, which drave the, them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites. But not with thy sword. Not with thy sword. So this is really important. There is no getting around the fact that you have to repent, think differently, and go a different way. God will intervene. You know, this word hornet, I, I will tell you, I mean, it's, you know, the base word is Zedek Resh An. 
And Tzedek, again, is that, that letter for righteousness. And uh, Resh has to do with authority. You know, there's one Resh. So there's a double Resh that means something more. But a single Resh that has to do with your authority and your dominion. And then there's Ayan. But it appears, when it appears in these verses, it actually appears as Hey, Tzedek, Resh, Ayan, Hey. So there's an emphasis. It's not just, it's not a bug. Okay? It's not, and it's not a bee with a stinger. But they, they translated hornet. Because like I said, all the, almost all Hebrew words has multiple meanings. It'll have a physical representation. And it will have a, a meaning in principle. And so, Mixing those two, and this is what the Pharisees did, and a lot of other people did it too, they are able to unmoor the meaning of these words from the principles that they're trying to express to you. And then they turn religion into superstition. So that you end up with graven images, which is just your imagination. In verse 21, Thou shalt not be affrighted, at them, for the Lord thy God is among you, a mighty God and terrible. Now, when you hear people read things like that in their churches, they all imagine that God is among them. Because, I mean, they, they're in church, right? And, and, and they love Jesus, right? And, and they have faith in the image of Jesus that they've created in their mind or been created in their mind. But how do you know that you really have faith? Well, what are you doing? This is what James is telling. Do, do, do you practice pure religion? Uh, do you, or do you covet your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority against the teachings of Christ, against the way of Christ? Because if, if you're still coveting your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority one over the other, if you're still desiring benefits from men who will take the means to provide you with those benefits away from your neighbor or your neighbor's children, you don't have faith in Christ. You have faith in your imagination. And so, you should be afraid. You should be frightened. Because you're not with the Lord and the Lord is not with you. You're actually a worker of iniquity. Verse 22, And the Lord thy God will put out those nations before thee, those people before thee, by little and little. By little and little. Well, that means that you have to walk this walk of righteousness, of the tzedek, of this way of righteousness. And little by little, God will put on the full armor of God upon you and protect you and go out ahead of you with his hornets, whatever those are. Thou mayest not consume them at once, lest the beasts of the field increase upon thee. Well, uh, the beasts of the field. What are the beasts of the field? (laughs) We've talked about that before. That's the living things out there in the world. It's, it's, 
It's other people. Beasts of fields are not animals. They're the living souls of people. And uh, they may be violent. They may have turned into perfect savages. They may repent. Who knows? Verse 23, But the Lord thy God shall deliver them unto thee and shall destroy them with a mighty destruction until they be destroyed. If they don't repent. If they don't repent, then they remain beasts of the field. And these are the beasts of the field that increase upon thee in opposition to the righteous ways of God. Now, who those are and when they, you know, God gets to decide. Because remember, it's God who's doing this. What you need to do is repent and find yourself in the camp of God by doing what God said to do. And again, I'm I'm using these, you know, what God said to do. What, what's written in creation. If you go this way, whether you call it your religion or whatever, you will go into destruction. You see what's happening in many of these countries that have religions that are full of covetousness and full of unrighteousness. See, America didn't have that for a long time. And that's what made America great. But now it does. Now it's filled with covetousness everywhere you look. They can't even imagine taking care of one another. Through faith, hope, and charity. Nobody wants to change their standard of living to help somebody else out. Oh, I mean, some rich people will give. But who will really give of the heart? And he shall deliver their kings into thine hands, and thou shalt destroy their name. There's that word destroy again. From under heaven. But which destroy is that? I don't have it marked in the text. I'll have to do that. Uh, under heaven, there shall no man be able to stand before thee until thou have destroyed them. 25. The graven image, that's your imagination, of their God shall be burned, shall ye burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein. For it is an abomination to the Lord thy God. Now again, remember, this is all done by the Tav that is added to these words destruction and by righteousness which is added to these words like destroy. So you need to cultivate faith, hope, and charity in a system of pure religion based on righteousness where you have a religion that is fulfilling your duty to God and your fellow man. If you do that, God is going to put all the other things into place. And he specifically says in other places where if if you do it, then you'll be puffed up and full of vanity. But mostly what you need to do is submit to the righteousness of God and the ways of God. And people aren't doing it. They have their graven image of their imagination and 
So, and, and they want to defeat other people. Defeat the bad guys. Overthrow the bad guys. Verse 26, Neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thine house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. But thou shalt utterly detest it, and thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is cursed, a cursed thing. So what, see, a lot of people will reduce this down to, oh, they made statues of gold, and their statues of gold were graven images, and those graven images, you know, that they're turning the principles they're trying to explain in these verses into superstitions. It isn't about the gold in Fort Knox or the uh, some golden statue. It's about, you know, taking the wealth. You, you still have to avoid oppressing your neighbor. You, you have to do the reverse of this. And this is one of the things I've been talking to uh, people about more and more in conversations during the week is that what you need to be doing is reversing the mem, the flow in your life. For the last 100 years in America, people have been wanting more and more benefits. Pay for my student loans. Pay for my health care. Pay for my welfare. Pay for my social security. They're taking a bite out of one another. They're coveting one another's goods. I want better schools. Let's, let's raise the tax levy. And there, it, the flow is from outside in. Taking from others. Coveting what is, belongs to others. You have to reverse that flow to reverse the effect. You have to learn to lay down your life for your fellow man. In a righteous way. And you don't go out and throw all your money out the window to everybody who says they're poor. But, I mean, you have to apply the principles of God in a righteous way. That's why I pointed out that they're adding these letters. They're adding righteousness. And that's what destroys the, the enemy. It undoes them. It breaks them down. Those who will not see the light, they will go, they will flee more and more into the darkness. They will bring their own destruction. Just as you have been bringing the destruction of your society for a hundred years of covetous practices. That's what, it's not the Bidens. This is what I was saying in the whole banking series and banking on the kingdom. It isn't the Federal Reserve. It isn't the, the bankers. It isn't, it isn't the politicians. That are bringing us down. It's because we've been pursuing. An unrighteous way. We have to reverse that. And start pursuing a righteous way. A righteous way is based on love. With nothing but hope. That it might come back to you. You cast your bread upon the waters with love. And hopes that it comes back to you. That doesn't mean you just go out. And indiscriminately. Cast your bread upon the waters. But that you do it according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now that's a step by step process. Little by little. To learn when you're listening to the Holy Spirit or when you're listening to just emotional heartstrings of compassion. Which 
will naturally come up. We have to, we realize that we are physical creatures with physical desires, physical lust, physical compassion, physical uh, empathy. But we need to be moving according to the Spirit. And one of the ways to draw that Spirit near us, that Spirit of creation, is the pious performance of our duty to God and our fellow man. We have to strengthen the poor. And just to give to them indiscriminately is weakening the poor. It is encouraging sloth. It is encouraging uh, false witness. It is encouraging avarice. We don't want to do that. So there's a huge responsibility, but you will not know all the answers every every day, every time. You, you will learn them little by little, moment by moment, because you're learning to walk in the Spirit. You've, you've got walking in the flesh down pat. You've been doing that for, like I say, a hundred years. So much so that you're sitting in darkness and they cannot even see how they've been coveting their neighbor's goods. Doing the exact opposite of what Christ said. They've been doing what the Pharisees said was okay. They've created the Corbin of the Pharisees. You have been a part of that. You want to find an army that will protect you and to... Of course, you see, even that motivation is not really what you want. You're not going about this to save yourself. You want to go about this to save others. That that changes the dynamic. But again, what the critical thing in this is not only do you... You know, Christ came that the whole world might be saved. That's why you come together so that the whole world might be saved. You, you're not going to save them. But you come together... Because you're going to reverse that flow. You're not going to be taking a bite out of one another. And that's the only way to be freed from the cities of blood. The cities where you're in the cauldron. And you be the flesh. The only way to save you from that. Is to stop biting one another. And to start doing the other thing. Caring about one another. Because if, you know, when they talk about a city on a hill, they're not talking about the city of blood where you bite one another. They're talking about another system that is above that where you are willing to lay down your life for your fellow man, care about your fellow man. That is, you can't reverse the flow, but that, if you move in that direction, this is why Christ used words like seek and persevere and strive. You have to move in that direction. And and you have to be moved in that direction little by little by the leading of the Holy Spirit. So it starts somewhere. But it is Christ that's got to lead you in that way. You know you're not following the ways of Christ if you're still following the covetous ways that has led to the destruction that breaks down families and breaks down societies, degenerates society so that the wicked are rewarded and the good are punished. Not that anybody's really good, but those that are standing up and trying to do the right thing and trying to say the right thing and actually seem to care about other people, they're the ones who get attacked in the world that you have created. 
you want to change that. You have the creative force within you to change that, but you have to change the way you think, which is what we call repentance. You have to change and go back another way. Because what's happened is you've brought an abomination into the house of the Lord and said in the house of the Lord, what you call the house of the Lord, your local churches, that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods. And that's utterly bringing destruction. But we'll let you go. And join us on the network at preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org. Become a part of the network. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And let's return to the ways of Christ. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.